Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's up, everybody? Hey, hey everyone. So, this week, we're going to continue on with our regular monthly segment, our reoccurring segment, where we read through a year in the comic Invincible by Robert Kirkman and Ryan Otley. Do you have any other creative contributors that you'd like to mention on, on the book, Drew? Yep, so we've got Bill Crabtree as colorist as usual, Russ Wooten as letterer, and obviously Robert Kirkman and Ryan Otley as the writing and penciling slash inker team. So yeah, we are covering Invincible, volumes 8 and 9, if you're reading in the trades. If you're reading the issues, that's 36 through 47. Yep. If you uh, if you guys are if this is the first time that you've jumped in on this, this was as I mentioned before a re- reoccurring podcast that, or a reoccurring series that we're doing. So if if you want to catch up on what's happened so far, uh, we recommend that you go back to our previous episodes and go ahead and give those a listen just to see or hear about all the things that have happened up to this point. Yeah. And pick up, uh, pick up Invincible and read it for yourself because it's just an all-around fun, awesome superhero series. It's good stuff. And we're so, going to be diving straight into spoilers as we normally do. There's no real point in trying to be coy about things, is there? There, there isn't. I'm, I'm not going to tease and slap and tickle my way into like tension building. I, I intend to just go full hog. None of I don't this, even know what that means. None of this half hog stuff. <laughs> just full hog. <laughs> Where do you come up with these phrases, man? Uh, I don't know. I watch a lot of TV, so. <laughs> <laughs> and to be quite honest, I'm not even sure if that one's a real one. That one might have been something I just imagined. I feel like it. I might have taken two different ones that I'd heard before and just jammed them together to make a thing. But there's like a there's like a 25% chance that that's a real thing. Yeah, I mean I've heard of going whole hog, but yeah. the way that you just the way that you kind of painted it, that was uh, that was different, man. Yeah, the way that I described it, especially with the previous part about slapping and tickling, uh, if someone had a pretty active imagination, it would sound like I was uh, grabbing was, someone's genitals. It was it was quite salacious. Yeah, it was. <laughs> How well, about the Dodgers? <laughs> this is a, a family-oriented podcast, except when uh, Albert gets into deeply seductive territory, then then it's uh, completely unrated. Uh, I'd like to think that I, I use enough flowery language that... It's not explicit what I'm saying. That that's that's fair. You are able to couch your vulgarities in poetry, essentially. Exactly. So a- somebody who isn't able to handle the concept of metaphors and similes may not really even notice that anything scandalous has been said. Exactly. I'm a I'm a verbal ballet dancer when it comes to smut. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> either that or just a heavyweight boxing champ. Oh, thank you, thank you. 
Yeah, Float man. like you a butterfly, things. sting like a bee. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't even remember what we're talking about. <laughs> we were discussing year four of the Invincible, of Invincibles, not the Invincibles, Invincible. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this, on this group of issues that we read this week? So I'm going to say that this isn't officially my, okay. So my hypothesis is if there, if, is that if there's a pattern to this book, so the just from what I've seen so far, it feels like every odd number book is gonna focus on like some key story points, whereas every even book so far has been uh has been their opportunity to either touch up on some of the various plot points or add new stuff, right? So. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned in year two that a lot of stuff, there was a lot of stuff going on in year two. Like, we were just bombarded by it. And then in year three, we mentioned that things seemed to stream down a lot where we were just kind of following one or two, maybe even three story elements in in year three of Invincible. Yeah, major story elements at least. Major story, yeah paying uh special focus and attention to those story elements the bigger story elements mm-hmm. uh in year four i feel like we go back to uh focusing on a lot of the minor story elements as well as continuing to focus on the bigger story elements as well but yeah but there's certainly a lot going on in year four um like we we mentioned before getting on to talk about this podcast, uh, I was saying to you that I had just finished reading it, you know, a couple hours before this podcast. And uh, quite honestly, it was a lot. Um, my head was, uh, I guess it might be dramatic to say, swimming, swimming with uh, all the information that I had acquired mm-hmm. or with all the information from the story that I'd read. But... Um, but it was a lot, you know, it was certainly a lot. Yeah, definitely a lot of different subplots going on, even things that don't even really seem important at all. Like it's like, there was that whole issue near the end of the, of the, of the run where it was about Tether Tyrant and Magmaniac. Yeah. You know, they were just. Hiding out at a safe house and struggling to survive because they didn't know how to get real jobs and be straight after, you know, living, living a long life of being criminal. They're B-tier jobber villains that showed up as henchmen in one other storyline. And, you know, if that had, if that prior storyline had been the end of them, I wouldn't have thought much of it. But, you know, they get a... I guess front and center story. Yeah, they basically had the whole issue about them and yeah. and Invincible coming over to put them back in prison where they belong. Right, right. Once they resort back to crime. Right. So sure. it's, it's interesting how something like that, it seems like those guys, it feels like they don't really matter, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. 
Like they're yeah. they're pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of Invincible. You know, they they don't pose a global threat. They yeah. don't even pose a national threat. They're kind of dangerous when they rob a bank, I suppose. Yeah. But they're that kind of thing. To your average person. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing just feels like it's beneath everything else that's been going on because it. I'd say the yeah. the biggest the biggest uh, plot overall throughout the series has been the Viltrumites. Like right, that's right. been the thing that uh, precipitated Omni Man turning his back on Earth. Yeah. You know, and and then the revelations in the previous volumes when we start to learn just how how far their reach goes, how the Viltrumite, how far the reach of the Viltrumite Empire goes, and the things that they're able to accomplish, the 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 I guess the sadistic nature of how they're willing to abuse their power just to destroy peoples and planets that are weaker than them. Yeah. Like that that is obviously the biggest threat that's confronting yeah. Mark. Especially yeah. because he, he just feels like he's completely overmatched by these adults who are, you know, probably hundreds of years old and have way more experience and yeah. raw power than he does. So yeah. if they if they ever were to make good on their promise to return to earth he 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 really doesn't have much of a chance like he he can barely survive against one One of them them. yeah so what if like an army of them shows up right exactly so it it just feels like there's this cloud hanging over mark and everything that he's doing yeah Uh, all the things that he's doing with the other heroes on earth you know they like early on in in these issues they go into space and fight the sequids which were uh which was a story that, yeah, they're kind of like Starro, I guess. They kind of yeah. take con- control yeah. of people's minds, and that was that was something that was seeded. I forget if it was in year three or year two, but it was seeded a while ago, and now it finally came to fruition. Yeah. But even even a threat like them doesn't really feel like it compares to the Viltrumites that are lurking in the outer yeah. reaches of space. Yeah. And it's uh, interesting that you mentioned that. It's I feel like we've mentioned this before, but how Kirkman has this pretty impressive talent of seeding his stories with these plot elements that he has a, this like incredible discipline not to just uh, resolve right then and there, right? Yeah. Like he can he can put these plot elements out, and you know. Keeping in mind that these issues that these issues are coming out on a monthly basis, with that perspective in mind, it'll be if I had been collecting this series on a monthly basis, that would mean that a year or a year and a half passed since that storyline was even touched. Yeah. The sequence, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like how how would you remember what happened? Exactly. I mean, I guess. If I was a voracious fan of the series, I w- and and presuming I have like I've been collecting all the issues up to that point, I'd be like, oh yeah, that was a thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and then you, you know? could dig out your your issue from the long box and yeah, reread stuff. Yeah, but that that's that's kind of a tall order to, to ask of of any reader, and it's a challenging thing to balance because yeah, he'll have these little subplots he'll plant the seed and it could just be like 
maybe a one or three page little sequence and you kind of yeah. forget about it and move on for, yeah. you know, 10 issues, maybe even more than 10 issues. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously the time has passed within the world of the story as well. And then you see what ends up happening to that character. Like, for yeah. example, I think it was way back in year two, there was that little story where Mark teamed up with Titan, the, the guy that turns into stone. Yeah. Who uh, was... He teams up with him to, like, wipe out a criminal syndicate. Yeah. Because he thinks that Titan is on the way to reforming himself. Exactly. Exactly. And it turns out Titan ends up being the one to take over yeah. the crime syndicate. And then he, you don't see anything from that storyline for well over a year. I think that was yeah. in year two. And, and then we're in year four now. And it's only in these issues when we finally see Titan again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say that when when Kirkman uh, seeds these stories, he always ends it on on a note where where there is a part of me after reading it, um, where I'm just like, oh man, well what's gonna happen next? And you know, again, going to the perspective of if I was collecting these issues on a monthly basis, um, a lot of time would pass, and I think the tension would just be murder on me if I wasn't, if, if I didn't have the fortune of being in the present that I am now where yeah. I can just read all these comics at once. Right. Yeah. So like with this, with uh Titan, you're right at the very last panel that we see him in, he's in like a, he's in a suit and he's sitting in the big chair and it's become quite obvious that he's running the criminal criminal syndicate now right yeah and he's, he's cemented his power and he still has isotope hanging at his side <laughs> yep yep and that's just the last scene we see of him and then nothing for months after that or with the sequins the last scene of that story was it was mark and the astronauts escaping from mars and you think that you know these parasites have been beaten and you know they've escaped the martians so that's the end of it but the revelation after that is one of the Martians actually snuck on board the ship and replaced one of the astronauts and left behind an actual human astronaut with the parasites, which was the one thing, the worst possible outcome that they could have had. Yeah. You know? And so the last scene of is in, in the comic is just this one astronaut being overtaken uh, by these parasites and you know that he's now under their control. And again, after that, we don't see anything of that uh, of that astronaut and uh, his predicament for months until, until year these four. Issues. Yeah. yeah. So I I was going to say, it feels like, it, it definitely feels like Kirkman is a dude who grew up uh, on those long form 90s comics, or not 90s, but just, he he's like a he's a Claremont dude who grew X up on comics. something, right? Exactly. He's a dude yeah. who grew up on like long form comics like Claremont, exactly, where you know, Claremont was writing X Men for what, nineteen years or something like that? Yeah. Fifteen? Maybe like seventeen. Seventeen? Yeah. Something like that. So, so these were just storylines that had gone on for years and years, and Kirkman is taking the lessons that he learned from reading those stories and he's found a way to do a better 
more modern version of that in Invincible, which I yeah. appreciate. I think I think what he learned was that if you're going to seed something, make sure you have a plan to give a payoff at the end. Yeah. Because I think yeah. with a lot of those older comics, I'm not really sure. I'm a lot not of really the times convinced. They just, kind of fall off the, they just fall off the map. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think with a lot of those older comics, yeah, they either. And I'm thinking specifically of Uncanny X Men, but yeah. there would be little plot points that would either be forgotten entirely or so much time would pass that by the time they did get picked up again, it's not really convincing to, to me as a reader that the yeah. writer had a plan. It, it was more like he went back and looked at something he wrote in the past and realized he dropped the ball on that one. So he's going to try and pick it back up and you know add to the mythology that he was weaving. Yeah, which is kind of... Un- it's pretty unsatisfactory and it's pretty lame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as, whereas as with Invincible... Reader. There's definitely more of a sense that Kirkman has a grand plan. Like, I don't know exactly how he was juggling all these little plots in his mind. Like, he probably had some kind of, like, map or a board or something where he was keeping track of all these different threads. Yeah. But clearly, he, he's got some kind of long-term plan, you know? Like, he doesn't just say, oh, this guy's going to become the master of this crime syndicate, and then, We're gonna uh, you know, forget about him. forget about him, and then... <laughs> And then, you know, two years later, he's like, oh, yeah, that guy was a crime syndicate master. Let's put him in an issue now. Yeah. It's, I th- it feels more like he actually planned something yeah. from the past and, you know, came to fruition in the future. Yeah. And it definitely feels like there's going to be some sort of ultimate resolution to to each of these storylines. You know? Yeah. So uh, even the stuff that gets resolved only to have more plot plot threads open up like even in those cases it's like yeah it it definitely feels organized and yeah and there's this sense that oh this is even though he's stretching this storyline out you get the sense that there's something there's going to be a payoff of some sort yeah exactly and when you when you describe it that way one of the first examples that popped into my mind was the whole storyline between Monster Girl and Robot. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's a something. Perfect example. Yeah, that's some. Those are characters from the first year of Invincible, and the way that their individual storylines have progressed and now to this point coalesced with each other, it's mm-hmm. pretty fascinating because it it kind of felt like each time we got some kind of revelation about those characters. You know that could have been, that could have been. It could have been it. Yeah, that could have been it. It could that could have been the end of that little story arc. But instead, things continue. Like for example, with with Robot, uh, the whole thing about him leading the teen, uh, the teen group, whatever they were called in the beginning, and then yeah. becoming the the leader of the Guardians of the Globe, and then getting that leadership position stripped from him because of, I guess, repeated failures. You know that. That kind of let him down what initially seemed like a pretty sinister path, but he ended up being a team player. Yeah. But doing his own thing on the side, which was even more suspicious. And then yeah. you learn that he was actually this this uh this dude who was just deformed and yeah. you know, living in this living in this tube of some sort to protect his yeah. skin from he's, he's oxygen. He's basically a bubble boy. 
Yeah, he's a bubble boy. You know, and, and then Someone he ends up. Immune system is just so delicate that any exposure to the outside world could kill him. Yeah, exactly. And then for him to end up cloning a young version of Rex Flood's body yeah. to plant his mind into it, like that, like that's a long kind of story arc, you know. And then not only, but it doesn't end there. Like after doesn't. that, he ends up continuing. Or he ends up building a, a closer friendship with Monster Girl. And you see them just spending time with each other, going to the movies or, uh, you know, just hanging out when they're at their base. It's it's pretty interesting stuff, man. Like the way yeah. that the way that Kirkman is able to devote just different amounts of attention to all these different characters, you know, like it he doesn't necessarily have to spend an entire issue yeah. on those two characters but the fact that over a period of four years he spent a little bit at a, a few pages at a time developing these characters yeah it really is pretty satisfying to see their yeah. relationship develop and makes makes you curious to find out where it's going to go next yeah the other thing that i'd want to mention is that Kirkman's sensibilities are like I don't know if it, like okay I want to assume that his sense of, okay uh, his sensibilities are clearly modern sensibilities yeah. so I think it's interesting how he subverts a lot of uh your expectations when you're reading uh Invincible so mm-hmm. like one of the things that uh that I'd like to mention is one of the storylines that had a resolution in uh, in year four of Invincible was Mark and Amber breaking up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So throughout the first three three years of the series, there's they go through ups and downs in this relationship, and you know it it feels like. They're just both normal, you know, as normal as a superhero can be. But they're they're both essentially just two people trying to lead their lives and trying to keep each other in involved in each other's lives. So yeah. they're maintaining these relationships with each other, even though one of them is a superhero who's just incapable of sharing that part of his life with this girl, right? Yeah. So, um, you know... So Kirkman seeds the story with all of the elements that make for perfect drama. So you you get introduced to this new character who's infatuated with Amber and all of a sudden you're waiting for that for that huge explosion because at so so there's so many different ways that the story could go. Uh, you're like mm-hmm. when I was reading it, I was like, oh my, is is Amber gonna cheat on um on Mark with this new guy, or are they just gonna have this big blow up? Like uh, the whole time I'm reading uh, these the sections about their relationship, I'm expecting like this big dramatic blow up to happen, and when it finally does happen, when they finally do break up in year four. It's not this it's not this melodramatic soap opera explosion of drama where mm-hmm. you know people are throwing chairs across the room and crying <laughs> and like you know ripping their shirts as they 
scream out to the heavens or whatever. Can you um, imagine if Mark lost his mind and started chucking chairs? <laughs> <laughs> Just destroying entire buildings? <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, but it becomes what ends up happening is uh Amber is in the bedroom with this new guy that she's met and they've slowly become closer with each other and Mark stops by to overhear the conversation that they have and she doesn't cheat on him but he he hears from everything from the conversation that she's had and he observes from their experiences up to this point and he realizes that even though he has all this affection for amber like he just can't continue to live this life with her because i mean it's just not fair to her it's crushing her on some level and yeah. it ends with them having an earnest serious conversation about their situations and they just part ways which is totally it's indicative mature. of yeah it's mature it's indicative of how like modern his sensibilities are like if it was claremont i i have no doubt that it would be just chock full of melodrama you know <laughs> like i have no doubt in my mind that they'd have this huge monologue and you know someone would just rush out of the room uh you know while they cry and mark you would know, fall underwater and have to shoot his optic blast at an octopus yeah, ex you know, comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would just be very soap opera-y. And um, as, as a modern reader in, in today's... Uh, with uh, today's uh, perspective, I like, I wouldn't be able to enjoy that. I just couldn't, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting point that you brought up about how invincible still holds up with modern sensibilities because i was looking at some of some reviews recently of the animated series and one of the things that i kind of picked up on from these different reviewers that were talking about the cartoon adaptation of invincible was yeah that it it felt some people were saying it felt out of date to them oh well and, I don't know if that was because of the animated adaptation itself, but the sense I got was because of the content of the story. Like people were saying, um, you know, we've seen a lot of these kind of tropes before and these, there's all these superheroes that are really powerful, but it's weirdly enough. I saw a lot of people comparing invincible to the boys. Really? Yeah. Well, and not not in a favorable way either, strangely. You know what? Uh, you know, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I guess if I had to say, well, two things. One, um maybe there's some truth to me not being uh truly modern in that well, I'm I'm a little older now, so you know my dating experiences might be completely different from what Mark's <laughs> going through. If you're gonna call whatever I've had dating experiences, <laughs> so um, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being yeah, real. Yeah, man, with the I, I would here. consider those dating experiences, man. Thank you, thank you. 
for for throwing me a bone. <laughs> you, you've, you've definitely dated many women. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, my second point being, um, it's interesting that from your observations that the thing that people would point to as a as a comparison or as a well yeah as a comparison or as something that they hold up as a modern representation of uh you know current sensibilities uh it's interesting that they would choose the boys yeah uh part of me does think that it's it's kind of part of that pendulum that we're talking about where um uh, we talk about how there's an era like if there's this thematic pendulum that's constantly swinging swinging back and forth there's there's always this era where uh things are kind of earnest and we believe in hope and purity and all that and then mm -hmm. every so often the pendulum pendulum swings back the other way where things become gritty and uh mean-spirited and dark and it that might be an indicator of where uh people that where the headspace of the zeitgeist is currently right yeah it very well could be yeah the interesting thing to me is that well i don't know if it's interesting but the, one of the things that i thought about after uh reading some of those reviews of the invincible cartoon some of the things that i thought was were how invincible it's only, you know, about 15, like these issues are probably about 15 years old or so. Uh -huh. And I personally don't consider them dated, but does that just mean I'm old and my sense of time is out of whack? Because would someone who's reading comics for the first time today actually consider these modern comics? No, they wouldn't. You know, if it, if it hasn't, if it wasn't published within the last like five years or so, I don't think they would consider it modern. Yeah. In terms of true. you know superhero comics. Yeah. But but to me it it's not it's not really about the the violence or the archetypical superheroes that we see, you know, dressed up in different costumes and different names in Invincible that make it yeah. f seem like it's whatever those people think. Because to yeah. me like those those kind of tropes that that are on display they're it's really just a shorthand for people that are already pretty familiar with superhero comics you know yeah like, yeah when we see the guardians of the globe like especially in the beginning of invincible before they all got slaughtered by omni-man when we see the when we see the guardians of the globe we automatically know that they're the justice league yeah exactly right? like they, they obviously have all the the uh there's a fish guy there's a fast yep. guy there's a, a martian super guy there's a martian guy there's a warrior woman type uh, you know like yeah it's all the uh it's all the archetypes that we associate immediately with the justice league yeah exactly it, it's really just a shorthand for people that already read comics or superhero yeah. comics yeah but there's so many other um so many other non-Marvel, non-DC superhero comics that have similar stuff too, you know, like it's, it's pretty common to find those kind of, 
those kinds of archetypical tropes and characters in any creator-owned comic or any uh, creator-owned superhero comic or just non-Marvel DC superhero story. Because you, you have those kind of things in The Boys also. You, you still have those kind of archetypes and yeah. you know the 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 patriotic superman type you yeah know, obviously the boys I, version of that character is yeah the but, seven are basically the justice league too yeah exactly <laughs> if you really think about it <laughs> exactly um so it, it it was strange to me that i would have i would see people comparing invincible to the boys because it to me they're, they're not really similar i mean maybe i guess you could make an argument that they both have some crazy amounts of violence, but other than that, they're they're really different types of stories. Yeah, I I think they're they're almost apples and oranges, like in terms of their intention. Um, yeah. The other thing that I'd mention is the actual boys comic itself. I'm pretty sure those are Bush era comics because they were coming out around the time mm-hmm. around President George W. Bush. And in many ways, a lot of the things that informed uh, the story elements in those stories were based around what was going on at that time, which was the Iraqi war and all that. So, yeah, like time wise, those aren't really modern comics either. If if, if you're looking chron- chronologically. If, yeah, if you're, exactly. If you're going to take chronology, uh, the chronological timing as an indicator of whether it's modern or not, right? Exactly. Because I don't, I think Invincible number one probably only predates The Boys number one by, it can't be more than like five or six years, you know? Yeah. And yeah. they both definitely overlapped during their runs for a significant amount of time. Yeah. I can see that for sure. So it would actually be fair to say that they were contemporaneous with each other. Yeah. Yeah, like I I don't know off the top of my head exactly when like the dates for when those came out, but uh, it didn't feel like they were far off from one another. In, no, in they were time. not. Yeah, they were yeah. very close. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any other story elements or or storylines that jumped out at you that uh? I don't know that that left some sort of uh, Im- impact or impression on you, Drew. Let's see. Some of the smaller things that happened were still kind of memorable. Yeah. Like I want to I want to mention how I think it's the first issue in in this chunk of issues where Mark and his buddy William end up tracking down the missing college students who have been transformed by D.A. Sinclair into these cyborgs called Reanimen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the very end, they uh, find his lair and beat him up and destroy uh, his machinery and, and whatnot. Cecil comes in, teleports in, and helps them make the arrest. And the twist at the end of that issue is that Cecil puts D.A. Sinclair to work for the government yeah. So that that's like one of the hints that we get that something shady might be going on. You know that yeah. that Cecil, he he has 
he has things that he keeps from Mark, right? Like he's yeah. He has it's almost like the sense where he's not putting all his eggs in one basket. He has to he has to put his trust in other parties to defend the nation or even defend the planet and it, it can't all just be on Mark's shoulder so he's got to yeah. have his own thing going on. Yeah. But after that one issue, after after that happens, we don't see DA Sinclair or the Reanimen until the very end of issue 47. Yeah. So it's like an entire year goes by before we see anything happen with that little subplot. Mm-hmm. I will say that the storyline where um, the college students are being kidnapped off the campus, uh, where Sinclair is kidnapping them off the campus to experiment on them to create his first iteration of Reanimen. Mm-hmm. Uh when I was reading that, that was one of the storylines where as I was reading it, like once they kidnapped Rick Sheridan, it felt I, for some weird reason for that one particular storyline, it felt like the passage of time was really long, you know? It really was. Because it felt like he was missing from their campus for like months and months. Months and months, exactly, right? And maybe maybe in their world, he was just gone for like a month. But part of me was like, man, if I was Mark, I'd be like, something's clearly not right here for this dude to be missing for as long as he has been missing. Yeah, you know? I mean, even in their world, it was definitely multiple months, if not at least like half a year or something. Because, okay. because okay. I remember he went missing and then Mark went on a mission to space and he was... You know that story when he when he found his father again on that bug planet? Yeah, he was at least gone for like six months on that? Maybe not. I don't know, I don't know if it was six, but it was a few months. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was gone for multiple months. And then, so on top of that, you know, other stuff has happened. So it's definitely been, you got to imagine at least like three or three to six months have passed since yeah. Rick disappeared. And like that whole time, like Mark's, he has been back on Earth and... He hasn't really done anything to yeah. look for his missing friend. That felt weird. I'm, I'm not going to lie. That felt weird because I was like, I, I, at one point he mentions it where he's like, you know, I, I have superpowers, but I'm not a detective or anything. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess that's true. But he knows <laughs> he knows these government spooks that probably could use yeah. their investigative skills. Yeah. Yeah. There was like, come on, Mark. <laughs> it was. Yeah. You You're dropped so the caught ball. Up in your own problems, man. Yeah, you dropping the ball, dude. You dropping just, the ball. Just because it's up to you to save the entire planet doesn't mean you can neglect one person. Yeah. Rick Sheridan, <laughs> come on, something's not right here. At least yeah, call your friends. You there's gotta be a Batman type in your universe. Go go call, you know, that guy. You just gotta call him. that one dude from, from those early issues who who talks like Rorschach. Yeah, the the dude who's sort of the, either the question or Constantine uh, he, archetype. <laughs> he, he, all of his dialogue is lettered in the way that Rorschach's word balloons were lettered. And he right, has right. the same kind of suit, but his face looks like a baboon or something. Or some yeah. kind of demon thing. But yeah. The thing that kind of mitigates the, the problem here, I think, is William still remembers Rick. And he's the one who's constantly reminding Mark, why haven't you looked for him? Yeah. Or, you know, he's, he's like saying stuff to Mark to try and get Mark motivated to look for their friend because 
March yeah. out in space having those adventures, but William's still living his regular life, and yeah. the absence of his missing friend is something that he doesn't really, he can't really ignore yeah. that, you know? Eventually, though, William is the one who comes up with the plan to yeah. that ultimately ends up saving Rick. Yeah, you gotta you give know? it up to the buddy, man. You, you do, you do. And, like, up to this point, William was played off as kind of a doofus, kind of a fool, kind of a joke. You know, yeah. the comedy relief of the comic, but, you know, he, he he pulled through here. He pulled through. Yeah, dude still has a good heart, so you gotta give him some love. Yeah. I did think it sure. was funny in that other issue near the end when, when he thought Mark wasn't gonna be home. He put on the Invincible costume <laughs> and just, like, <laughs> pretended to be Invincible. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention was, and, and this is another thing I'd point to as an indicator of just, I guess, Kirkman's ability to uh, subvert my expectations of people's behaviors. But again, um, there's one scene after Mark and Amber break up and Adam Eve finds out, Adam Eve, uh, for those of us, uh, who've been reading Invincible up to this point, we know that she's been harboring this crush on Mark for a while now, but circumstances just never synced up. And now he's finally single, and she decides to confront him. She goes straight to his dorm to confront him, basically to say, I heard you broke up with your girl, so what's happening? Are we gonna are we gonna make this happen between me and you, or what? I mean, that's truly science fiction there, because... That's never happened to me. Yeah, that's so that, I find that, that hard to believe. Pure escapism. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I was gonna say was she shows up and William's there and he's just like, Oh, uh I should leave. And it's not like I mean it's awkward, but it's more comedic than it is yeah. uh, uncomfortable. And it's not like he holds a grudge against her for breaking up with him. Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, for those of you to just to catch up, uh, there was a period of time where William and her and Adam Eve were going out, but they just he just wasn't mature enough for her. If, if, yeah. I had to, if, if we really had to put it in like stark terms. Yeah, but it, I think that little uh, that little scene you just described does show that. He's not a complete doofus all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. He like definitely he's, he's has definitely played for comic relief, but there are times when he's able to to show that there's a little bit more going under the hood, right? Like yeah, he's, for sure. He's not gonna he's not gonna be a punk and, and just make things He's even not more a vindictive awkward. bastard. Yeah, exactly. He's he's basically a good person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A right? good friend. Yeah. Even even when he could have i'm not gonna say reason or excuse to be you know a jerk to mark but you know i'm sure in his mind in anybody else's mind in their position they'd have some sort of rationale for why they're justified in being a jerk to mark or being salty towards him yeah and you know william's not like william's not like that (laughs) he is not he is not. No, sir. Another plot that 
was a uh, kind of a slow burning plot was the story with Alan the alien because the last time we saw him a bunch of issues ago he got torn up by those Viltrumites. Yeah. Somehow yeah, they messed he, him up bad. Yeah, they messed him up crazy bad and somehow he got put back together and now he's stronger than ever and by the time uh, we get a few issues deep into year 4 he's he's not only healthy again but he's actually he's stronger. Jacked. Yeah, he's super jacked. <laughs> yeah. He's he's like at capacity with muscles, you know what I mean? He's like Rob Liefeld's version of Captain America. He's like if I took a Twinkie and a syringe and I just decided that a standard Twinkie didn't have enough cream and I wanted to double stuff it. You would go whole hog. I would I would not go half hog on that Twinkie. I would go whole hog. Yeah. So when I grab that Twinkie, it would just burst in my hand. <laughs> if you could even get your hand around the be, girth of it. Exactly. It would be just effulgent with cream filling. <laughs> <laughs> it would be... It would not be your standard Twinkie. It would be an engorged Twinkie. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're we're just talking about Hostess snacks yes. here. Yes, that's, that's all it is. So Alan the alien, he was jacked. <laughs> yeah, and he he came up with a pretty good plan too. Uh, later on in the in these issues, where he he learns from Mark, like he actually visits Mark, and Mark gives him an up. He gives him like. A brief, a briefing on all the stuff that's been going on with the Viltrumites and stuff, especially because Mark had just fought another Viltrumite that came to Earth to check on him. Yeah, a she Viltrumite. Yeah, the first yeah. she Viltrumite I've ever seen. Oh, that's a good point, huh? She is yeah, the I don't think one. we've ever seen a, a a lady Viltrumite. Yeah, other than maybe like in those flashbacks when they were talking about how things were on the planet back in the in their glory days, huh? I'd have to go back and check, but even then I feel like it was always dudes with mustaches. Would you have expected a female Viltrumite to have a mustache also? It would have been funny if they had done that. <laughs> like think... if their if their race I mean, that'd be like a cool alien trait, like if it if that was the explanation for why they just all have mustaches or or you know if that was the uh signifying uh visual trait for their species yeah. you know like how the clanons have the ridges on their foreheads or the vulcans have the ears but yeah their species we all just got sweet mustaches we got sweet california highway patrol officer mustaches mustaches that would make tom Selleck jealous for reals, for reals, for sure. That would have been a pretty funny decision. I kind of wish they had done that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would have been you know? unique, man. That would have yeah, been very... Right? Maybe maybe they thought that if they had done that, though, people wouldn't take it too seriously. That's true. That, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. Yeah, but I, I still... Like, I don't I don't see why not. Again, like... Aliens. Klanons, 
Yeah, they're aliens. Klingons have those ridges on their foreheads, and that I don't take them any less seriously for it. So. Yeah, but if you saw a woman coming at you and she had a mustache, would you be able to take her seriously? Uh, I probably wouldn't. But if she was gonna club me over the head with an arm that she ripped off another dude, I would take that very seriously. Yeah, that would be the last serious thought you would ever have in your life. Exactly. This is how I go. A woman with a mustache is going to club me to death with someone's arm. And I was never loved as a man. That is some (laughs) existential pain right there, man. Indeed. Indeed. Not, not only <laughs> did you get beat to death by a mustached woman using somebody else's arm as a club, but even when you were alive and able to live your life to the fullest, you were still alone. Yeah. Yeah. My final thoughts were of how I lived a life of loneliness and I will die a death of loneliness. It almost kind of feels like death would be a sweet release. That is probably... That is probably the likely uh, end for that scenario. It would just be, you know what? This is probably how this should end. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even going to resist this in whatever pathetic way that I intend to resist it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm just going to throw my head into that arm as she's <laughs> clubbing me with it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, we do see this other Viltrumite, uh, this, and, uh, yeah, and, and Alan's plan to... You know, after coming back uh, supercharged and after talking with uh, Mark Grayson, he finds out that Mark's dad has been imprisoned by the other Viltrumites. And while he's flying off in space, he encounters the 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 she Viltrumite that Invincible just recently had an altercation with. And he decides they have a small fight, but it's a fight that Alan could have won in his new state. But he decides, wait, this is an opportunity. Uh, if they take me in and decide to arrest me, I, I might have a chance to find Mark's dad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we might be able to, I might be able to break him out or something. And, well, the expectation on, or what I got from it was the implication being that he's going to find some way to break him out and use this one Viltrumite to, you know, resist. Yeah, exactly. Turn the tide against these other Viltrumites. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a plan that is clever, if not a little bit reliant on hopeful thinking. But hey, it works out. It's a lot of hopeful thinking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I feel like even if Alan's in there and he's captured, like, let's say that he is stronger than a Viltrumite now. He's still going to be surrounded by Viltrumites. So even if he takes on one or two, uh, 
I yeah. don't know that he can take on like ten or twenty or a hundred of them, you know? <laughs> yeah, seems pretty risky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But somehow that that hopeful plan of his, it kind of fits his character because this dude just seems like a really upbeat. He's happy-go-lucky. Yeah, happy-go-lucky kind of dude. Yeah, yeah. There's something there's something almost naive or cheerful about Alan in any circumstance. Yeah, he's certainly far more cheerful than I would have been after just being eviscerated yeah. in space by two Viltrumites. Yeah. Because, you know? again, the last time we see him, they basically beat the guy so badly that his guts were just all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was all just floating in space. Yeah. But that, yeah, that's uh, probably one of the bigger developments from year four. Definitely uh, going to be interesting to see where they go with Alan and Omni-Man. Yeah. The other development that I would tack onto that as part of Alan's story is uh, earlier on in... Uh, I'm pretty sure it's this year, but earlier on in the issue when Alan is revived, he talks to the head of the coalition and it turns out that the head of the coalition of alien planets that are resisting the Viltrumites, turns out that dude is himself a rebellious Viltrumite. Yeah. You yeah, know? that was that was in this group of issues. He yeah. uh the beard that the old dude has is just a cover. Like, it's a fake beard. He pulls it off, and he's got a mustache. That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> it's like his disguise is, I'm going to hide my mustache so they won't know that I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't he just shave it all entirely? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's... I mean, if, if, if uh, Robert Kirkman is leaning into the... Uh, leaning into the 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 humor of the Clark Kent glasses then uh that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There's a lot of little bits in here that are just amusing and funny if if you're I don't know like they're they're pretty minor details but yeah like something like that another thing that just jumped out to me because when I was reading it it made me actually chuckle out loud, but there's that scene early on when the Lizard League are they've got like a meeting with all their all the foot soldiers. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, they're yeah, gathering yeah. up their forces and rallying them. Yeah. And this one dude, the Serpentor looking guy, gives a speech and then he gets he gets uh before he gets taken out, he uh basically says all hail Supreme Lizard. And then you see a, a panel where all the foot soldiers, they look like Hydra agents, Hydra soldiers. Yeah. They all raise their arms or they raise their fists and salute. And they're all smiling and happy looking. It, there was something about it that just made me laugh, man. Yeah. Like, so ridiculous. The Lizard it's, League is, yeah. is this cross between Hydra from Marvel and what is it? The Serpent Society from DC. Yeah, well, I'd say it's all of them. It's Hydra, Serpent Society, and... Oh, not Serpent uh, Society. I was thinking of Cobra. Cobra. Well... With K. Okay, okay. Well, I okay. guess they are like the Serpent Society because they got the snake theme. Yeah, because each of their members has, like, one snake theme. 
So it, I guess it's a mix of all the all the snake groups and Hydra. Yeah, yeah. Hydra, yeah. Serp, the Serpent Society, and Cobra. And even Cobra from GI Joe. Yeah, that too. That too. Yeah. It's it's pretty funny how they just take all these. Uh, it's just well known, recognizable iconography. Like anybody who who grew up reading superhero comics, you just know what these yeah. references are, and, and it's it's just funny. It's like an inside. It's definitely an inside joke for you know people who are fans of comics and cartoons. People who grew up in that era, you know. Yeah, it it kind of feels like because of that inside joking nature that that could be why uh those cartoon show reviewers thought that invincible was uh i don't know dated or or silly maybe because they don't really understand those references i'd be curious to find out what their actual rationale is because that's i don't know man that's that sounds pretty weak if that is why they think uh yeah it's out of date or whatever like i'm not i'm not too into that idea in the slightest yeah i I gotta maybe i'll go look for those reviews again and send them to you so you can judge for yourself i don't know why i really sought those out because i don't really think other people's opinions are are necessary all the time yeah i mean there are some people's opinions that i do value yeah but there are also people that their their opinions don't really mean anything to me. And <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, IRS? <laughs> well, those aren't really opinions about comics. Those are more, uh, you know, laws and regulations pertaining to my taxes. <laughs> to your personal existence. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to see you go up to an IRS auditor and just like shout at him. You're you mean nothing to me. You have no authority over my life. I don't recognize you. I haven't been a citizen of the United States for 17 years. <laughs> you, you don't have the power to tax me. What are taxes? I don't recognize you or your government. No taxation without representation. <laughs> Uh, and then I'll go back into the woods and join a militia. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. The world is uh yeah. <laughs> the world yeah. is a cesspool. It is. <laughs> Actually the that whole thing with the Lizard League was another fascinating story because the Guardians of the Globe had to split up because some of the strongest members went to outer space to fight the sequids. Yeah. And then you had uh, some of the lower tier, lower powered characters remain to fight the lizard league who basically took over a nuclear missile facility. Yeah. So the idea was that they didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to risk any of their more delicate members uh, from getting exposure to the sequids because the sequids have the ability to take over people's minds and bodies if they're able to puncture their skin. So only the more 
the the tougher members were sent on this mission into space so the these other remaining members were left on earth and it just so happened uh this this attack on this nuclear facility happened so those members uh which included uh rexplode duplicate and i forget what the little guy's name was was it shrinking ray i forget but that yeah the dude that uh can shrink yeah and they go off to so you know while all the other guys are fighting in space against this space parasite they go off to fight the what's the name of that serpent society group again the lizard league yeah so they go off to fight the lizard league and uh i don't know what you were thinking when they went off to go fight them i i i i'll admit i was surprised i wasn't expecting uh what happened to be what happened it was a pretty bloody battle wasn't it it wasn't just a battle it was a massacre yeah (laughs) so so you have duplicate and you know the army of herself she has the power to duplicate herself and rexplode and shrinking ray they all go in there to fight the lizard league and they just get butchered uh duplicate mentions up front that as long as even one of her clones survives she's going to be able to continue to replicate herself and what exactly happens after that a couple of panels later the guy kills the very last duplicate down to her last form and that's it it was it was savage too it was like yeah you you see her you see a bunch of the clones just getting torn apart yeah they're just throwing themselves into a meat grinder at that point yeah their their heads are their skulls are getting squished into paste limbs are getting ripped off spinal columns are getting torn out you know they're just like piles of blood and guts and it's yeah it's one of those scenes where if they if they get to that scene in the cartoon, it, it's probably gonna get pretty pretty gross. Yeah. Well, uh, from what I've seen of the cartoon, uh, I don't think they're gonna shy away from that violence. If anything, they'll either embrace it or double down on it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So, and it's not just duplicate. Like shrinking ray jumps in there. And I forget which member of the Lizard League it was, but he just picks him up. And Shrinking Ray is essentially this dude who has the ability to shrink. And he just pops him in his mouth like a chicken nugget. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that was, uh, that left me pretty speechless. I was like, whoa. <laughs> it was a pretty indignant end for a guy yeah. that was striving to gain more respect. Yeah. Well, I undignified end, I should say. I I will say this. Um I don't think that's the f- So for whatever reason, when I saw it here, it was like, oof. Like it left an impact on me, but it reminded me of this other scene in Ultimates 3 where I think Blob <laughs> eats the wasp. Ultimatum ultimatum yeah where blob eats the wasp and that was just excessive nonsense so yeah it's interesting to me that it's more effective here but there it was just stupid stupid. (laughs) (laughs) you know 
Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I get what you mean, man. Jeff Loeb. He sucks. <laughs> he does. And I'm, I was also surprised that Rex Flood got shot in the head and he still somehow survived. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't wonder if, uh... that, I wonder if that's going to have an explanation at some point. I can't remember. Even though I read these, it's been like a bunch of years, so I really can't remember. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I feel like I, I, I'm pretty sure that's a, a plot thread to something else. Um, I, for, I forget. Did you. So I know you bought the the final uh, hardcover, mm-hmm. uh, deluxe hardcover. But did you ever f- read that, or are you just I saving? Have, I still haven't read the last maybe three or four years of Invincible. Nice. So this read through of ours. Myself. This read through of ours is there's gonna be a point where it's gonna be truly new to both of us. Yeah, yeah, it will. And I, I will also say that those first. The first three years of Invincible, those ones, I probably read those like three or four times. Yeah. Those yeah. are those are really familiar to me. Yeah. Because every time I would get a new volume, I, I would start reading again from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I think once I got to like volume six or seven of the deluxe editions, I would yeah. I, I, I might have stopped doing it. So like from there, I would just read whatever one that I got when it was when I just got it. And yeah. then. I fell behind and didn't buy the deluxe editions for a couple of years, and I let them pile up. And then when I heard that it was ending, I ended up just snatching up those final four. So I actually haven't read those final... I, it was either four or maybe three hardcovers. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. There's, there's gonna, we're going to get to a point soon where it's going to be all new to me. And yeah. even, even, I think, in these next couple of volumes, there are still a few things that I do remember... But it's been so many years, and I only read them once, that I I don't think my memory of them is super strong. So it's almost like having a, f- a fresh experience. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I remember I would go to the Green Apple here in San Francisco a couple of times, and there were always volumes of Invincible out in the bargain bins, and they were always so tempting to get. Like, I remember they had a bunch of the deluxe hardcovers out, and they were consecutive, you know? Yeah. And it was so tempting, but I ended up not just because it was just too many of them, you know? But, man, even today, I still think about the time that I saw, like, the first five, six volumes, and I was like, man, that is that is yeah. just too good. That, that would have been a great deal. Yeah. They were like, I want to say like 10 bucks a volume, maybe even eight. Yeah. Ugh. Another thing that I wanted to talk about was duplicate and multipol. Since we've got a bunch of Asians in the comments now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, man, this is a uh, this is our time to shine, dude. Representation, baby. <laughs> there were like hundreds of Asians in those comics. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that the names are pretty clever. They're funny, There's, man. They're funny yeah. names. Yeah. I, I guess those count as puns, right? They're punny? Yeah. 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 Um, I'm not... So I, I really have to think about it, but... There's really nothing more to their power set other than just constantly replicating themselves, right? Yeah, I did think it was interesting that Kate mentioned how... Whenever she creates duplicates of herself, they share the same consciousness. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So 
That means that during that fight with the Lizard League, when Oliver, when Oliver duplicates were getting, you murdered. know, pummeled and murdered, <laughs> she just experienced all that pain like a hundredfold. I imagine that's the case. That's well, gotta, that's crazy, man. That's well. Okay, there's two ways to look at it, right? Or uh, that you could kind of conceptually uh, discuss discuss it. But so there's a chance that all of them feel whatever any of them feels to uh, in its full effect, right? Hmm. So that's one interpretation of how that works. But if that was the case, if one Kate is getting her head ripped off, you would think that all the other Kates would like shudder or oh, that's true. You know, they that's would just point. stop doing what they were doing. Yeah, when that right. level of pain happens, so like either it might just mean that they share consciousness without necessarily sharing uh pain receptors. Pain receptors. <laughs> Or there's another way to potentially look at it is if it's spread out amongst all of them, then maybe whatever pain is there is dispersed, you know, uh, distributed equally amongst all of them. But, yeah, I don't know. I think your first theory probably makes the most sense to me yeah because you're right man if if one kate felt the same pain that another kate felt then she would be a pretty easy it'd be a short fight yeah 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 exactly yeah but her army of duplicates was relentless in charging that super strong lizard dude yeah yeah exactly so it's just it doesn't really uh make yeah, I guess that's the thing I was trying to figure out. I, I guess her power set really doesn't go that far beyond just making a bunch of clones of herself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so her strength presumably is that of just a regular person? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the case. But it, it's like just... You know, imagine yourself fighting, like, a hundred of me. I'm not really <laughs> stronger than you or anything, but if you fought a hundred of me, that'd I'm pretty be troublesome. Sure lose. Yeah. 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 Well, but that big snake dude did not have any problems fighting a hundred of her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that dude had superpowers. Yeah, yeah. So, that, yeah, that wasn't really... It would be like if the Hulk or somebody fought... A thousand soldiers or something. Yeah, like a thousand D-mans. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, so the thing about Duplicate was that for a while in the comics... Uh, Everybody was, thought she died. Yeah, because they had established that once the final clone dies, that's it. But later on in uh, Volume 9, 
we we're introduced to multi Paul, which is the brother that we've never met before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard we, of him. They've mentioned exactly. him before. So exactly. Now we finally see him. And that, exactly. that's another one of those little details that Kirkman just seeded into, you know, a single page a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like and, no little detail is wasted. Yeah. Like, presumably it could be a throwaway detail. If it was, if this was some other circumstances or a different writer, it, it would have just been a throwaway detail. But he brings him in with a purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. And he introduces Multipol. We finally see him in action. And not only do we see him in action, but there's a reason for it all. There's an explanation, which is it's a way to learn about their power set in greater detail. Or yeah. or really how they live with their powers. And the revelation is that one of them, the original, uh, cl- the original version of them is usually off in some protected location while the clones are out in the world and they live vicariously through their clones yeah pretty fascinating way to live isn't it it's it's a clever way to uh tell take advantage of that power yeah exactly exactly i I thought it was you don't see madrox doing that yeah exactly right multiple man he has well i don't I guess he technically has the ability to live that way. I don't think he shares consciousness with his guys, though, so... He he can absorb their memories, I think. When they when they go away, he... When he learns his clones fade away, he, yeah, he, he takes in their knowledge. Yeah, but otherwise, they just live out in the world vicariously on... Or they just live out in the world on their own. I think he... It's weird, because some stories display the idea that he can have clones that eventually display their own independent will. Yeah. But they're, but most of the time it feels like they're just subservient to the prime Jamie Madrox, you know, like they all just kind of obey the original and do whatever he wants them to do. Yeah. But I, I remember a story from X factor back in the nineties when I was young and it was about one of Jamie Madrox's clones. Yeah. Basically, taking on a will of his own and doing what the real Madrox would not want him to do. But, you know, later on, the twist was that that whole time that renegade clone was actually being manipulated by Madrox himself because he wanted to get a sleeper agent onto the, you know, the bad guy's side or whatever. Okay. That's a, yeah, I mean, that's comics. It's, it's whatever's convenient or, (laughs) <laughs> makes for a good story at at that particular point in time, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, I thought that was a clever use of that power set in uh in Invincible. And not only that, like additionally one of the other revelations is that Multipol is apparently working for some sort of other foreign criminal syndicate, an oriental criminal syndicate at that, <laughs> that is in league with Titan, which we mentioned earlier. So, yeah. um, so again, ever since, you know, year two 
where Titan took over uh, that other, uh, you know, that other criminal syndicate. This is the first time we've seen him since then. Yeah, yeah, that's a long way to go in between appearances, but it does. The passage of time does give you a good. It's a good excuse to show that Titan has really cemented his power base. Yeah, yeah, and it's believable, right? Like, cause if this was a story where it was literally the day after he had taken over, for all I know, he could be searching his lair for like printer toner because he doesn't know where the last guy left it. <laughs> He'd just be like, where's the copy paper? How am I supposed to make copies? How am I supposed to make memos? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. I think the other really big development in these issues was Oliver Invincible's little brother or his little half brother who's now being raised by Debbie. Yeah. And he's he's just developing at a rapid pace. So even though he was he was a little baby when he was brought back to Earth after the passage of some months. Yeah. He's basically by the end of the story he's he looks like uh I don't know an 8-year-old or something. Oh, okay. No, he, wow. he's like a little kid, right? Well, I was going to go with like five or six. Yeah. Five or six, yeah. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. I thought you were going to say a little bit more. Oh, no. I thought... You you humbled was... me with your correction. <laughs> so I was I thought, it, I thought it's you. best to just shut up and let the expert <laughs> do the talking. <laughs> but... Uh, you can't accurately judge the age of children <laughs> what does he know how can you trust anything that guy says the weird thing to me about this conversation is the implication is that i'm an expert in little boys which i'm very uncomfortable with that you see that albert he's like rain man he's like the rain man of telling how old a little boy is he's just the rain man of little boys <laughs> It's 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 not it's not something that I want to be or have a, any association with whatsoever. Yeah, I I guess uh, <laughs> one could say that you've been hit by you've been struck by a smooth criminal. Uh, yeah. Daddy, are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you say daddy? Wait, was that what? What's the line? Daddy. Danny. Annie, Annie, are you okay? <laughs> Annie, are you okay? <laughs> uh, off the cuff, I, uh, that's that's how I remember that line. <laughs> if he can't even remember a Michael Jackson lyric, how can you remember a comic you read a couple hours ago? <laughs> how do you expect to break a rule if you can't even break a bone? <laughs> Uh, I don't care what anybody says. I love Into Darkness. <laughs> yeah, that's a great movie. Where are you at, Shanus? I think ain't down with Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, what was I gonna say? We're talking about Oliver. Yeah, so he's he's developing at a incredible pace, and uh, it's revealed that he already has his superpowers. So he has flight and probably some level of durability 
some super strength in all likelihood. I mean, he straight up punched the lights out of what's that guy's name? Magma Master? Magma Man? Either that or Magmaniac. Mag- okay, Magmaniac. I for- okay. I could be wrong though. You're making me question my everything <laughs> that I know. <laughs> Just go with it. Like <laughs> the names are pretty funny though. You gotta admit that. Totally. Like Tether Tyrant, Magmaniac. Yeah. Octoboss. <laughs> that Octoboss guy he was fighting back. That, that is a pretty funny character too. Machine Head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I like the superhero names: Shrinking Ray, Duplicate, Multipol. Those Rex. Explode. Those yeah, Rex Explode is classic. Yeah. Yeah, like one of the things that, and this could be me projecting or reading into what I was, uh, what I was reading, but there's a scene right after he finds out that uh, Oliver is developing these powers, and just the way that, uh, that Mark's face looks, and like him going off to train after that, I got the impression that he might be a little insecure or threatened by the fact that his little brother is just developing so rapidly. And that combined with the fact that, again, you like you said, Earth is existing with this pall hanging over it of constant invasion by the Viltrumites. And on top of that, Mark has to live with the fact that he knows that in a fight against any of these Viltrumites, he can't hold his own at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I wonder if Kirkman is seeding uh, that element of the story into it now where Invincible is going to have to overcome whatever insecurity he might be having. Like, again, it could be another example of Kirkman at some point down the road setting it up only to subvert my expectations by having him overcome it in like the most mature and and like realistic way yeah. which is just kind of working it out working out his emotions or it could be this thing where it explodes in a final battle between him and his brother or something like that you know <laughs> yeah sure totally like, there's there's a lot of possibilities for where the story will go yeah, totally, totally. And the different scenarios that you just posited, they all seem plausible. And they all feel like they could make for good stories, great stories, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. did you get that impression about... Uh, did you did you get that feeling that Mark was, you know, not feeling too great or too confident in himself after finding out his little brother had was was already showing signs of superpowers i think it, i don't know if that's what i concluded but i i think what i felt was more along the lines of he's got this mark has a sense of unease because the way that his brother is developing definitely isn't normal it's not human that's his that bug alien nature of his kind of speeding up the development process. Cause Mark didn't get his powers until he was almost done with high school. Yeah. And here this, this baby is, you know, probably not even a couple years old technically in, in earth years, but 
his rate of development is so rapid that it, it's hard to really see where this is going because he's still, even though his intellect is developing and all of his strength and physical abilities and his superpowers are developing, he still doesn't necessarily have the maturity or the human understanding that would be kind of required to responsibly wield that level of power, you know? Yeah, yeah. So just imagine a little kid with the same power set as Mark and how that could turn out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true, too. That's something I hadn't considered. Like, for all we know, the kid could end up uh, overtaking Mark fairly quickly. Like, yeah, just straight up overcoming him his progress levels mm-hmm. then uh then we'd have uh what's it called then we'd have invincible being in a position where he's gonna have to fight a little boy <laughs> why do they have to fight each other they're brothers <laughs> yeah it, it's kind of interesting it reminded me like when you mentioned that it reminded me of this other villain from one of the other issues i want to say it's from this current year of of yeah, stories right. as well that's right there was this giant i think he was just called the giant right yeah he was a he was a gigantic kind of a kaiju sized monster that was tearing up the city yeah and it turns out he was just a kid yeah yeah it was funny We're... because during the fight when he was tearing down the buildings and smashing stuff he was making these ridiculous demands like Make me president of the United States. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's not how that works at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then it turned out that he was just a little kid that was caught up in a curse or something from from another dimension. (laughs) It's what he thought, like, adults would ask for. Yeah. So that's what he asked for. (laughs) That's a good point, actually. I wonder if it was intentional, if that... I wonder if Kirkman and Notley intentionally seeded that to kind of play up the the potential for Oliver, you know, just going mad with power but being too young yeah. for it. Yeah, that would be. I think that would be a uh, high drama if they did that. You know, mm-hmm. like it'd be pretty. It'd show a lot of foresight and just the sophistication of their storytelling if they did intentionally do that you know presuming presuming that the story goes in that direction yeah totally totally yeah i did think it was a good move to have mark take an interest in trying to level up like he like there's that scene near the end where he goes to the government base and they have this gigantic metal contraption so he can practice lifting weights yeah but it's like, you know, several hundred tons at a time. But he's just trying to do it over and over, do as many reps as he can so he can get stronger So he, in case he has to fight the Viltrumites again. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty logical. Because yeah. it, it feels like we've, we had seen him training with his powers before, but we hadn't really seen him working out or exercising. Yeah. Like, we've seen and, him speed around when he's flying just so he could fly faster, but yeah. we haven't seen him lift yeah and if i had 
if I could interject something here at this point, just a little thing of mine. Um, whenever they do this in stories where superheroes like practice flying to get better at flying yeah. or to get faster, yeah, that was one of those things that never really made sense to me. Like, I guess because flying always just seemed like the way that people draw it, it's not like he has wings or he's necessarily flexing a muscle or anything. Mm-hmm. So whenever I look at it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't necessarily make sense to me that how how someone could get tired doing that. I guess it'd be like concentrating too much or something like that. But like. And this is probably just a me thing, but I remember watching um, Justice League, the Whedon cut, with, uh, and it ends with that scene where the Flash and Superman race to see who the fastest uh, between yeah. the two of them is. Oh, yeah. And, and the scene is Superman flying while Flash is actually running on foot. And it always felt unfair to me when I, whenever I looked at that scene, because it's like, well, the Flash actually has to, like, run, use his muscles and his legs to run, whereas Superman's just, like, floating. Like, I don't know. Just feels like if they're going to have a race, he should be on foot, too. So you don't think characters that can fly exercise any muscles when they use their power of flight? Uh, maybe some core muscles just to stabilize themselves, but... Like, I don't feel... It like, never what made if, sense to What me. if for Superman to fly at maximum velocity, he has to clench his butt really hard? If that was what they told me, if that was what they said about how his powers work, that it was specifically tied to his butt muscles... Yeah. Then, okay, I'd have to take them at it, at their word for it, because, you know, that's the science that they're using... But until until I hear that, until I see that on the back of a card, uh, I'm just gonna. I, I it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> we need to get you a copy of Who's Who in the DC Universe. Yeah. Do they have yeah. something about how uh, Superman's gluteus maximus is directly related to how fast he flies? Yeah, that's how I knew that. <laughs> okay okay you think that's funny i do it's science yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> that's why birds have such amazing asses well birds have wings man <laughs> they have wings and hollow bones and stuff so they're they're special they're specially designed because of their shape but Superman is shaped like a person, like a human being. <laughs> so he has a special muscle in his gluteus maximus. <laughs> and when he works that muscle out, he can go even faster and faster. Right, right. It's true, man. Same with all the other heroes that can fly that don't need <laughs> that don't use wings. Okay. Okay. Uh I I, I await the, the screen capture of that page. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have to ask somebody to like photoshop, <laughs> to photoshop a copy it. of 
the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> oh man. Uh, in addition to to that storyline, the one other big storyline that I I want to mention is uh, Mark's mom reveals that she's going. She started dating again. Yeah. And, and and this is something that coincides with another scene. So we have to remember that up to this point, Mark's father, Omni-Man, has abandoned them. And he's left the planet. And he's even gone to a new planet and started a new life with this. And, and had a child with this other alien queen. So as far as they're concerned, Omni-Man is no longer part of their life. No longer part of their family, mm-hmm. and so in the in that one particular issue, um, his mom, uh, Mark's Mark's mom, reveals to him that she started dating. She's she's you know back to living a life of being a bachelorette. You know, just trying to get her life back together, mm-hmm. and far off in space. Not too far after that, we see another scene where Omni-Man is in the Viltrumite prison, and he's talking to another prisoner, and the guy's just asking him, hey, what's wrong with you? Something, something seems up with you. Uh, you seem unhappy. And it's just this really brief moment, but he's sitting there staring out into space, and he goes, I think I missed my wife. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's it's that's a good cliffhanger. Yeah, it's an emotional like gut punch between, you know, the cliffhanger that shows Omni-Man revealing that he's really coming to Earth to conquer them and that he's never loved his wife or any of the humans and only to reverse that to show how much he's changed and how he actually does love his wife. Man, that's a... That's an interesting development, man. It is. It is. You know? Like, one can only presume what's going to happen moving forward. Yeah. I've noticed also with 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 uh, that cliffhanger in particular and a bunch of other ones throughout the series. And you can also see it in The Walking Dead, but... Kirkman yeah. loves his splash page cliffhangers, right? Yeah. Like his, yeah. The last page of the issue is a splash page. It's always meant to make you wanting more, leave you wanting more. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting to do it like that because that scene that you described with Omni-Man, like the very last page of that issue is just one splash page of his face, his face. saying, yeah. I think I miss my wife. Yeah, but there's there's like not really other than the uh, emotional significance of it. There's not really any reason to make that the final splash page of the entire issue. Yeah, they, they could have easily effect. just yeah, it could have just been you know the last panel on a nine panel grid if they had yeah. wanted to. Yeah. So it's interesting to me the choices made in the storytelling because yeah. I think. If I had been reading the monthly issues, things like that might make me think, oh, man, it's it's like I'm not getting as much story as I 
could be, you know? Because he wasted a whole page on a close-up of his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, huh. but when I'm reading all of the issues in chunks like this, yeah, it works, you know? Like, it, it, I totally don't mind it whatsoever. Huh. That's interesting. That's interesting insight into how your mind works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's because when I buy single issues, I I hate to say it, but there is a part of me that thinks about the value and the yeah, I guess the economical aspects. Yeah, of it. The economical aspect of it. It's like the more time I'm able to spend consuming the work, yeah. it feels like I get more value. Yeah. But you know, from a logical perspective, that's not that's not really how it works because if I'm appreciating the craft and the artistry of it it doesn't really matter if it takes me 10 minutes to read it or if it takes me nine minutes yeah you know that's a really marginal thing yeah. with marginal difference so it doesn't really we, matter too much yeah ultimately I, I i guess one could argue that realistically what what should matter at the end of the day is just what the cumulative experience is once yeah. you're done reading it right yeah exactly yeah yeah so those are pretty much all of the uh all of the story development that happened in year four of invincible are Um, there any particular plot threads that you're particularly looking forward to seeing develop even more in the next year oh like what are the subplots that you're really invested in uh i think okay so we okay i wanted to mention now that now that you brought it up uh there was one other plot thread that we we didn't mention here that was revealed in year three and uh at the end of year three it's revealed that uh omni-man was an author Mm -hmm. and he was writing all these uh, over the course of his career. He had written a set, a series of these science fiction books and it's really minor or you you really don't see it that much in year four, but there are a lot of scenes where, or not a lot, but there are a couple of scenes where Mark is reading through his dad's work because mm-hmm. he's you looking know, for clues. Yeah. It was revealed in year three that there are clues in there that, he's going to be able to use the information that his dad was writing about to gather resources that's going to help him to fight the Viltrumites. Yeah, weapons that can defeat the Viltrumites, or even alien aliens that can fight them off. Right, right. So, uh, like, I, I want to say in year four, it might have just been a couple of pages yeah, there were a couple of scenes when Mark was just chilling in the dorm and William reading asked him what he was doing and he yeah. said he was reading his, those books. Yeah. There was also that scene when Alan went to visit him and Mark he told Alan. the book. Yeah, and he's, yeah. Alan ended up scanning the books. Yeah. So that that's good, you know, propagating the information. Yeah. And it's a it's it's good technique. It's a good storytelling technique on Kirkman's part, again, to keep that plot thread alive. You know, yeah, uh, it, it really conveys the sense that 
Mark has a life off the page, you know, like you, we know that when he's off panel, he's still, you know, reading those books and doing yeah. things whenever he can. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm still, I'm, I'm interested in that. Uh, the other big one for me is I'm, I'm, I want to know what's going to happen with Omni man now that he's decided that he loves his wife again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, he just said, I think I miss my wife. But does that, do you think that yeah. really means he loves her? Uh, da, da, da. maybe I'm reading into it. So, you know, it's it's not a it's not a huge leap to go from missing someone to to seeing him come to the conclusion that he really does love her more That's than. Fair. That's fair. More than prison, at least. In a genuine sense, not the way his pet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That he happens to be having sex with. <laughs> uh, if but, you were uh, Debbie, if you were Debbie, would you take Omni Man back? Oh man. I wanna say no. But then again, he's got the strength and ability, like on a practical level, he's got the strength and ability to one, he could help defend the earth, and two he could also just crush her head like a grape. So, yeah. uh, like, pragmatically speaking, she's probably got more reasons to take him back. But emotionally speaking, it's hard to imagine finding um, the the finding it in you to forgive someone who betrayed you in such a in such a just horrendous manner. Yeah, horrendous matter, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, other than that, I I guess I'm also pretty invested in uh Mark's ongoing love life or romantic escapades between him and Adam and Eve or Adam Eve. So <laughs> Did you say Adam and Eve? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Adam <laughs> Eve, sorry. <laughs> I heard Adam and Eve. No, yeah, it it was just a flub. I meant oh, okay. to say Adam Eve. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's those are probably the main storylines that I'm most invested in. What about you, Drew? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much a sucker for romance in my superhero comics. So yeah. I think Mark and Amber's story is something I'm pretty interested in. I'm a, I mean uh Mark and Adam Eve. I'm still kinda curious about what will happen to Amber? Because I really don't remember what happens to her after this. Uh huh. So just the whole, uh, yeah, his Invincible's love life is is something that captures my attention. Not only that, but also Robot and Monster Girl. There's something I don't know. There's just something kind of charming about their relationship with each other. Like it kind of feels like. He's interested in her, but at the same time, part of me is thinking, is he just, does he just, is he just playing some four-dimensional chess, and she's some kind yeah. of pawn in his game? Like I'm, I'm kind yeah. of, I'm kind of worried for her, but I'm also kind of hopeful for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that same impression too. There are times where he truly feels like this 
completely detached person who's really just body around him for whatever his gains are, but there are other times where he shows some real humanity towards her. Yeah. So it's hard to tell, like, which is the real him and which is not. Is he just being manipulative? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that's really interesting to me. And then the other yeah. thing that I'm also pretty invested in is Alan the alien. I just yeah. like that character, man. Yeah. He's fun. Yeah. I I would actually agree with that one too. Like it's it's always good to see him, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if I Yeah, I don't know if I'm necessarily wanting to know what he gets up to next, but whenever I do see him, it's it's pretty uplifting. It's just fun to see him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's you a know? great character. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention this earlier when we were talking about the characters with funny names, but yeah. Fight Master and Dropkick. <laughs> Dude, when I read that scene, it made me laugh just hearing their names because those are just, yeah. they're just funny, man. Yeah. They're silly. Come on, actually, Fight Master. <laughs> actually, now that you mention it, I feel like that might be another storyline that he seeded because it feels like it's a throwaway storyline. Yeah. About these two time travelers. They came mm-hmm. and stole the Declaration of Independence. But yeah, I have a it's feeling. So random, gonna, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a lot of comics, that, that might just be the super powered equivalent of like a bank robber or something like that, right? So yeah, it, it, it could be a could throwaway just be, joke. Yeah, a throwaway joke or a throwaway storyline. But I have a feeling, uh, you know, knowing what I know of Robert Kirkman so far up to this point in reading Invincible. That it'll come back to something bigger. So, I'm yeah. Or if not bigger, it'll come back around in some way. So I'm curious yeah. about that. You know, fight master and dropkick. That's yeah. a that's pretty funny, man. If hey, if if you and I were a duo that traveled through time and robbed, <laughs> uh, you know, museums and stuff, which one of us would be fight master and which one of us would be dropkick? <laughs> I'd have to take a look, but from what I remember, they both looked pretty similar, didn't they? I guess so. I guess so. Like, there wasn't... There wasn't anything, like... I think one was green and one was purple. That I feel like that was the most defining thing about either of those characters. Some people might say you and I look kind of similar. I, I guess. But they're blind. And they're fools. <laughs> uh, I I I guess I, I personally I would want to be Dropkick. I just think that's the funner name out of the two. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I'd want to see I... you Dropkick someone. Yeah, I mean, if my name, if my supervillain name was Dropkick, then like everything that I did would have to revolve around the Dropkick. Yeah. Like, that would just have to be my only move. That would be my go-to move. Exactly. That, that'd that be your gimmick. Yeah. Your shtick. Yeah. It's how I would do everything. Mm-hmm. If I, if I go to the deli and I order a sandwich, dropkick. <laughs> yeah. Returning my library books, dropkick. <laughs> <laughs> 
pouring yourself a bowl of Barbara's morning oat crunch. Dropkick. Drop <laughs> you know, the other thing that I haven't really mentioned was how much Ryan Otley's art has improved over all these issues. It's it's pretty crazy, man. If you go back and dig out, what was it, Invincible issue seven or eight, whatever it was that was his first issue on the title, and compare it to the stuff we're reading now, dude, it's like so much better now. Like even back yeah. in those early issues, it was fine. But now it's like, dude, this is really good. It just He just keeps getting better and better. The details in the backgrounds are are just so vibrant and his figure work just gets bolder and bolder. I love it, man. Especially that that issue 36, that two-page splash, it's just an iconic splash of invincible flying over the city. I was looking in the in the extras in my hardcover. Uh-huh. And they were talking about how that two-page splash in issue 36 was actually originally just a poster like they were they had Otley do this promotional poster and he said he he was working on it on and off for I don't know a couple of months because it was just a lot of detail in the cityscape and when they finally when he finally completed it Kirkman thought it was so good he had to put it in the, in an issue also yeah so that's why it's in there I can man. see that I can see yeah that. it's a gorgeous uh, spread yeah, that, that's something I'll I'll try to remember to throw a picture of that up on the Instagram later. But uh, yeah, the artwork just keeps getting better and better, man. It, it's it's really impressive stuff. Yeah, I like his work, man. It's just it's just great superhero artwork. So fun. Yeah. Easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> if it were easy to do, we'd have a lot more better comics out there. Yeah, seriously. What was the rest of the line in that thing? <laughs> so fun! Easy to do! <laughs> yeah, back in the day, we used to go to this this uh, comic book store that was also a toy store called Jeffrey's Toys. And every time we would be digging through comics there, <laughs> I think it was... They had a display for, like, this toy uh, Yeah, some kind of electronic sell. thing. But... The display came with this miniature video panel, so you know, showing off what the what the toy could do, right? Yeah. And it would just play endlessly on this loop. So we'd be looking through these boxes of comics for you know thirty, forty minutes to an hour, or whatever, and in the background we just hear the sound of this video going over and over again. So fun, easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I have no idea what the product actually was, but I want to say it was like a yo-yo or something. <laughs> uh, I like it, it. It was like one of those yo-yos with the spinning lights in it, so that when you toss it, it uh, it it has all those lights in it. But I could be wrong. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I was just so focused on comics, I never looked around at my surroundings. But it was still enough where 
I heard all of that going in in the background, and it haunts me to this day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, Any final thoughts on Invincible volumes eight and nine? Uh, it's it's. I just want to say that it's a. It's been a fun read. It's been super engaging. I'm I'm very invested in it, and uh, and I just want to keep reading. You know, I, I want to know what happens next. I and uh, I I'd, I'd recommend it to you guys. Um, if if those of for those of you that are uh listening to this podcast, if if you're listening following us through our uh series for invincible try to try to read and catch up to where we are so that next month when we do year five of invincible Mm -hmm. uh which is volumes 10 and 11 i think yeah yeah Uh, you can read it along with us or or you know read it before we do the podcast episode so that you know you can talk about it with us or yeah you guys have any questions feel free to message us on our uh social and uh totally we will uh we're, we're more than happy to hear your thoughts or answer your questions on on invincible yep sounds good sounds good and the animated series has been streaming on amazon prime i still haven't really gotten around to watching it yet one of these days i will yeah well the clips that i've seen they look fun. I'm 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 into it. Yeah. Like, all the stuff I've seen that people post on YouTube with all the little scenes. It's looking good, man. I yeah, like how it looks. For sure, for sure. Like I I feel like they would have to do something drastically different in order for me to watch it and be like this isn't what I was expecting or I'm not into this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. They'd have to do something pretty contrary to the spirit of the comics. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Perfect. All right. Well, this is Between the Gutters. Signing off. Catch you guys next time. Bye, guys. Peace. Albert? Yo, what's up? Have you ever wondered how toothpaste manufacturers put the toothpaste in the toothpaste tube before they sell them? Uh, I can't say that I have. Why do you ask? I was just wondering how they do it. Oh. Do you know? I imagine that they have something that inserts into the opening and fills it up. So or, like a, a or, funnel or something? Huh? Like a funnel? Well, it no, just squirts here, into the tube? Here's the other thing that I just thought. I bet... I bet that the end... Oh, You know how the end of the toothpaste has that...
how it looks it's flatter on on the end of the toothpaste right yeah i bet that that part is open they fill it up in there and then there's a machine that presses that thing flat and closed and seals it i bet that's how they do it if i had to guess dude that is smart that is smart man because that's good man because the thing at the end it looks pressed that's true yeah so that's that's it'd be a lot easier to do it that way than just trying to squeeze it in through the little hole at the front. Yeah, you're right. You're right, man. That's logical. Yeah. Dude, thanks, man. Occasionally, I uh, I have my moments. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> People can listen to our <laughs> podcast and learn stuff. <laughs> is this is this our uh, teaser at the end? Is this is this gonna be that thing? Yeah, sure, why not? Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Wait, are you recording it still? You want me to stop? Oh, no, I wasn't. I'm just... Because it's not showing on our thing, is it? Okay, I'll end the recording now. No, because on 